Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, this podcast episode is brought to you by our sponsor, St. Gaster. So are you looking at getting your product into the hands of the right people, the people that are going to absolutely love it? Did you know that podcast advertising is literally 4.4 times more effective than the traditional display type of advertising? So if you're looking at really using podcast advertising, you may want to connect with Sencaster. So they've created this thing. It's called the Sencaster Podcast Marketplace, where you can connect as a brand or a company with the right type of creators. And again, you know, via Sencaster, you can connect with people like myself, where essentially we are putting ads of the brands and the companies that we absolutely love. So again, if you are interested in doing this, just go to sen.ai forward slash dealmakers1, and that is a number one. And again, the team at Sencaster will be able to guide you in the right direction. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So super excited with our guest today. We're gonna to be talking quite a bit about scaling organizations and then also the entrepreneurial journey. So uh, I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, John McElwain. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Alejandro. Great to be here. So let's talk about your upbringings and doing a little bit of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up in Ohio? <laughs> You know, life in Ohio is, um, it's a great place to grow up. And I quickly left Ohio and went to Michigan up north and um, studied computer engineering there and then took a big jump and moved over to London for a couple of years and got involved in financial services and technology. And, but it was great. Ohio is a fun place. And, um, and so is Michigan, by the way. So that's where I went to school. And how did you get into computers? Well, at an early age, my dad bought me one of the very first Apple computers, which um, I don't know, is right behind me here in this uh, podcast, an Apple II Plus. And I was really excited about being able to engage with technology and a computer and started up uh, an actually a business when I was very young using the computer. And I just was just fascinated by it and, and, um, and continued to be uh, excited about gaming and business and um, a lot of different you know, technologies as they emerged, but it all started with this, this Apple II Plus here. And in terms of uh, really getting into computers, but more specifically financial technology, I mean, why out of all things financial technology? Because I mean, it sounds like it got you hooked and you've been, you know, around, you know, FinTech, you know, since, since the nineties now. Yep. And, and I've been fortunate to have seen and, and worked in a number of different um, sort of segments of, of financial services from, from brokerage to payments to asset management and wealth wealth management to credit and lending and you know I, I'm just really excited about the sort of the pace of innovation that occurs or 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 um, can occur to change in business models and to emerge and to allow different innovative ideas happen all through technology and product and so it's really about the pace of innovation that's excited me most about um, financial services and technologies. And then, and then, you know, beyond that, it's, it's the ability to, to unlock new business models and, uh, and do that in ways that help people and help businesses grow and, and differentiate and be successful. And it's, it's that connection between 
the, the product, the technology, and, and the customers that I found to be very rewarding and exciting within, within financial services. And in that, in, that, in that sense, the first company that you worked at was, ended up being acquired by Morgan Stanley. So I think that to a certain degree also, it gave you access to what that full life cycle looks like and that integration process. So what did you learn from that? You know, it, it, you're right. It, it was really about the the notion that not knowing everything about a particular industry is sometimes a benefit because I think had we known how maybe difficult or challenging or how um, much of the infrastructure did not exist within the brokerage environment, you know, I don't know if we would have decided to tackle it. It, it was it was more of a, hey, why can't we do things differently? And 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 what is it about? Um, this legacy infrastructure that is preventing it from being modernized. And so as an example, with the brokerage business, we, we really looked at connecting APIs between the internet and the stock trading uh, floor, if you will. And it turned out there were no APIs that existed to, to allow us to do that. And so you might think, well, gee, you know, sounds like that wasn't going to go very far. But no, you innovate around that. You figure out a way to create um, um, innovations that allow for the businesses to exist. And that's, that's what we did. We started off with, you know, s- you know, wrapping some legacy technology, and then we, we worked with companies that had APIs and integrated with them. And, you know, over time, that type of that innovation and, and looking at things differently was, was really the key. And w- one of the biggest lessons learned was, you know, d- don't take things for granted. Things are, are the way they are you know, not necessarily for the best reasons and, um, and thinking about those challenges and then actually innovating. And, and maybe the answer is not, you know, the, the ultimate, this is the way it should be done, but you can go through different iterations and different pieces and, and different ways to get to the, to the end goal. Some of it's manual. Some of the innovation we did with the brokerage side ended up being manual. And you'd think, well, that's not really online brokerage, but that was the exception case. And then you, you modernize and you automate more and more and more and more. And eventually, you have an end-to-end system, which was ultimately what what we built, and 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 then were acquired by by the bigger companies. So lot, lots of lessons learned there. And in terms of worldview, I'm sure that has changed the, a little bit on your shape of thinking because I mean you've worked in London, as you were saying, then Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, then California. I mean, pretty much all over the map. I mean, how how do you think that that has helped you to really you know uh, gather or gain you know access to a different way of seeing things? You know, it's a great question. I think there's a lot of different things to unpack there. I think there are certainly cultural differences, you know, between international businesses and and but beyond that, there's regulatory um, issues and concerns that that you need to learn. There's um, infrastructure and the, the way in which markets work um, in different areas is different, and so it, it gave me a broader perspective around what you need to do to, to sort of really build a global company and working at Visa, which, which was obviously a, a, a global business, kind of understanding even the idiosyncrasies of cross-border messaging and settlement and currency, and as well as all of the regulatory issues was, you know, really sort of broadened my horizons, if you will, in, in, in terms of how to think about building a business that eventually is a global business, but but not being so naive to think that it's it's easy to do or or it's just a you know it's not a technology problem per se. There's a lot more that, that's required to um to take into account. Having said that, 
you know, I, I think payments is a global business and um, the interconnectivity between different markets and, you know, different customers that are sometimes overseas and, and want to still have access to everything they expect um, with their digital wallets. I mean, those kind of thinking, uh, that, that, that kind of capability is really um, becoming more commonplace and expected. And so as a result, you know, it needs to be part of the thinking in the early days of, I think, any, any payments business that's, um, that's getting out of the gate. Now, you've been involved with pretty big organizations. I mean, you are alluding to, now to Visa, but also you were part of Lending Club, Braintree. Uh, I mean, you name it. Now, one of those experiences that I thought it was really interesting, it was the experience of Lending Club, of Lending Club because in Lending Club, you were able to really experience that fast pace and that rocket ship environment. So what kind of culture allows for that to happen? Yeah, I think I think the the exciting part about Lending Club when I joined was was just the thinking that we could build, you know, a new business model, a new way to borrow, a new way to lend, and it's a good example of kind of setting out on a certain path and and designing and implementing products and solutions that that may not you know may not have been exactly where 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 we ended up. And so <laughs> I remember when I joined, that there was such. Um, such rapid growth in adoption in that business that you know we were even having you know quite a bit of of scalability and and challenges and processing all of the loans and and doing the sort of the nightly reconciliation and I remember you know a couple a, cu a couple of times where you know we weren't sure we we're going to be able to even complete the processing and and those are pretty those are pretty eye opening um, you know stay up all night and and figure out the problems but I realized that if you've got if you've got a great team, if you've got you know people that are dedicated and focused, you know th those types of, of technical challenges can be um, can be overcome. But but you know it's the exciting time of being in a in a rapid growth company. But but it's it's not always smooth sailing, and and it's really about looking at challenges and and solving them with great teams. And and one of the bigger challenges, you know, even later on at at Lending Club was not necessarily technical, but we had a um, you know, a departure of our CEO f fairly abruptly, and um, and that really exercised a lot of sort of leadership and and really ensuring that the the business, the company, the teams could continue to carry on because we had built something so great. And so na navigating through that was another you know another challenge that you know I learned a lot in terms of you know who's with you and and who who's behind. The vision and the team, and and um, who's willing to forge forge through, and it was really, it it wasn't a great experience, but it was a great learning experience in terms of how to deal with some of you know some of the challenges that are you know across the board sometimes happen when you're building and, and launching great businesses. Because how many people were there when you joined Lending Club, and how many were when you were leaving? Yeah, I joined when there were about fifty people in the company on the early days. I joined as the chief technology officer and built up the business, grew the teams, and then I left. In total, we were about thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred people at the time that I left post IPO. So we had built built the business, raised um, capital, went into the public markets, had a very successful IPO, um, and then I stayed for a year after that. So a lot, lot of great experiences there. And in this case, you went to Braintree, and Braintree was the ultimate last immediate step to building your own business. So how was that? How was that like? Uh, Braintree was great, and Braintree, for those who may not know, is the sort of the acquiring business within PayPal, and so it was a company within a larger company. 
really focused on um, um, implementing technology for payment acceptance. And so that was my, uh, so I, I joined Braintree as the chief technology officer and, and also chief product officer. And that was an exciting sort of learning experience in terms of working with super smart people in the payments business, people that have really can really understand how to build um, cutting edge gateways and, and scalable technology platforms and understand developer experiences and what's required to launch not only small and growing businesses, but, but some of the largest companies in the world were using um, and still are using Braintree as an acquiring business. But I think the biggest thing I learned when I was there was when I was promoted to GM or, or CEO, basically G, general manager of the entire Braintree business. So full accountability of, of the P&L um, and having that perspective around um, globalization, as we talked about earlier, and because Braintree is a global business and really understanding where some of the pockets were of opportunity for Braintree to compete with some of the other acquirers um, and continue to move fast within a large company. And, and how do you, how do you move, you know, how do you continue to innovate in um, within a larger company? Cause let's face it, you know, when you get to a certain size, um, it can be difficult. There can be um, obstacles to innovation and, and, you know, you know, my entire career has been a bit of a combination of, of small organizations where we were moving fast, but, but also I've worked at large companies, as you mentioned. And for me, it's been about figuring out how to continue to innovate, to hire great people and, and, to, and to push the forefront, um, regardless of whether it's a large company or a small company. And so Braintree was a, a mix of sort of a, a smaller company within a larger company. And so that was a a great experience and learned learned a lot about the acquiring business. Learned a lot about international and global payments more than I had at Visa, um, and um, sort of got the um, you know got got the wheels turning, if you will, in terms of um, what's next and and um, what some of the opportunities were for for a new business. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that. You know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now, in this case, let's talk about high note then. You know, at what point does the idea of high note come knocking and 
And what was that moment where you said, you know what, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for this one? When I had left Braintree and, and PayPal, I, I was still pretty excited about the, the payment acquiring space and the opportunities in terms of um, um, pockets of, of sort of opportunity that I saw as, as GM and where, you know, where, you know, innovation still was, was sort of yet to meet some of the, some of the customer demand. But as I got sort of deeper and deeper into, you know, what was happening within payments, I became particularly interested in issuance and, and this notion of instant issuance or virtual issuance. So allowing companies and businesses to pretty much immediately gain access to the payment rails and, and to actually do things that are more innovative than the traditional sort of plastic card issuance or co-brand issuance, where if you're a business and you know you want to put your brand on a card and you can launch that to your customers. And, and I think historically, those types of models were reserved to some of the largest businesses, whether they be airlines or you know, major hotel chains. But with this onset of, of kind of capability with instant issuance, that became exciting to me because I felt like with the, the world of embedded finance and the, the amount of innovation occurring with different business models such as you know, Uber and, um, and DoorDash and um, you know, other fast-growing businesses that are requiring a slight twist or slight innovation around um, card products and embedded finance, that was exciting to me. And when I looked at sort of who was out there providing these services, it, it felt like, you know, there, there were some businesses in this space, but, but lots more opportunity. And if we could think about how to build something for purpose and really built for today's sort of challenges, but also for, for the future and, and create a platform that looks at processing or issuance more as a product construct than a kind of a back office you know, turn through a bunch of cards and transaction really about how do we move the innovation into the platform side as a product. And that's, that's ultimately what, what we decided to do is build a full stack, meaning end top to bottom um, issuer processing platform, but build it in a way that would allow our customers to innovate. Because ultimately what we found as we went into the market is there are solutions that, that can perform issuance, obviously. But the ability to allow customers to be differentiated, to do things differently, to separate themselves from the rest of their competitors, and to do it faster than, um, than what some of the solutions out there would allow for. It was that combination of, of sort of differentiation and speed to market where I thought the opportunity was. And so to address that, I think you really have to think about the architecture of the platform, the, the notion of you know 100% APIs and and really not trying to build a platform with a bunch of features, but build a platform that was enabling that would allow customers to build with us and innovate features. Because I always think that you know customers build the best products, not not businesses. And it's really about the connection between customers in certain verticals and understanding what they need now and where they're going, and be able to have a platform that's nimble, that can react, that can scale, that can support all of their needs in the future. And that's, that was really the idea behind, behind High Note. So then in terms of High Note and so that the people that are listening get it, what ended up being the business model and how do you guys make money? So the business model, we are a, a again, a full stack card issue. So we issue cards to our customers. We're a B2B company. So we partner with businesses that want to create their own card products, whether that be virtual or, 
or a plastic physical card. We we handle everything. We're a full, we're sort of a full program manager, and but we handle all of the regulatory and compliance and um, and integration with bank partners. All all of the capability that a business needs, we handle that, but allow them to innovate, customize, differentiate. Um, and extend their brand within payments, within embedded finance or card issuance. Uh, and our business model is around um, similar to most business models, which is we uh, we make money when our customers um, um, have successful card programs and card products where um, where there's volume, where there's spend on cards, where there's innovation on um, on increasing stickiness with the customer experience through through spend. And that comes through, um, through interchange, basically, in terms of that model. That's, that's really what our business is based on. And in terms of the, you know, shift for you, because I mean, up until now, since the 90s, I mean, you've been really on the tech side, uh, either as a CTO or head of product. Uh, but now you've really uh, shifted, no, you've done like a 180 on your on your approach of 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 really you know going about the operations or your or your routine and and now you're on the business side so how hard has it been really going from the tech side to the business side for you yeah i mean for me it hasn't been that hard because i've always been sort of grounded by business models and customers and and i think that that technology for me was sort of a, a means to an end it was a, a means for sort of understanding What are the opportunities? What is the actual business? But also grounded by, you know, what what are the possibilities? What can be done, and um, what are certain ways? And so I, I think it's a has been a sort of a unique combination of my passion is really around, you know, customers and and unique business models and unlocking innovation. Um, but but as you as you rightly point out, a lot of my experience has been kind of owning that, being accountable for the delivery, the execution, and I think. Certainly in payments, I, I do think it's important to, in some regard, be, be grounded by by both the technology and and the product, but also kind of where where a business is going, where do they need to go, and and therefore how do we put something together that is not a reflection of where things are now, but really um, sort of the culmination of where things are headed, um, manifested in a in a platform that um, can help all these businesses grow faster. So so I think it hasn't been a necessarily a pivot. In fact, I was GM at, at Braintree, so I did have full full accountability for, for PL and operations and um and product and engineering as well. And so so that was a kind of a natural sort of leap and, and foray into into high note and, and a chance to sort of do it, you know, from scratch with a team that I think is the most advanced team in, in payments in, in, in the US ever assembled. And um and the ability to sort of continue to execute and, and innovate um, around this area has has been, I think, a, you know, a demonstration of of the kind of the team that we put together and, and are going to continue to grow. And you guys have uh, gone through a rebrand not long ago. And I know for a fact, you know, personally, you know, that can be painful. So so was it that challenging for you all? Yeah, so we started the company in the seed stage with a placeholder name called called Bay One. And that was a an old company that I had during the Lombard days that was acquired and we sort of uh, sort of repackaged that just as a placeholder. It was, it was, it was myself and my co-founder, Ken Key, um, and a few seed members. And we decided, you know, let's, let's get the business off the ground. Let's build some technology. Let's, let's, um, understand where the market is and we'll, we'll figure out, you know, what, what the brand is later. And so we, we made the decision, 
to rebrand before we had really um, emerged from from stealth, if you will. So for us, it wasn't super painful. We hadn't done any marketing. People were really knowing who Bay One was, but no, you know, no major customer sort of um, conversations. I, I think at that point, and so so from that perspective, um, you know, the rebrand wasn't particularly. Uh, complex. I, I do think that High Note is a, is a great, powerful brand. It has a positive connotation. You sort of, you know, end your podcast on a high note. Um, and I think it's easy to say, easy to spell, and easy to remember. And it's it's quite different from anything else that's out there. And so it allowed us, kind of, as a team, as we had thirty or forty people in the company to to together kind of rally around, you know, the notion of this is our identity. This is what we mean. This is what we're bringing to market. And so we emerged from sort of stealth in our, in uh, in September of 2021 with the High Note brand. And, um, you know, it's been great. It's been great, great, well-received, and um, and we're all excited about it. And and in terms of capitalizing the business, I mean, how, how did you guys go about capitalizing this business? So in the early days, we, um, you know, we, we were... You know, conceiving of this idea around issuance and, and building a platform, and so we ended up raising a seed round um, with a, c- a couple of investors, and and you know we, our seed round was, you know, perhaps a little higher than most seed rounds it was about eleven eleven and a half million dollars, and I wanted it to be that amount or near that amount because you know building a payments business from from scratch. Um, is is somewhat unlike you know many startup or early stage businesses where you know you 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 seek some amount of capital whether it be two three four million dollars you build some technology you do a product market fit you test you innovate you pivot you um, you know you um, meet some more milestones you you know go into the market for additional funding and I, there's nothing wrong with that model that's a great model but within payments you you can't you can't sort of build a, a you know a minimum viable product. You have to build the full stack. You have to build, you know, integrations with with the networks. You have to build integrations with the banks. You have to build the platform with the vault. It has to be secure. It has to be compliant. And so, and you have to you have to hire great people. And so we felt like the path should be let's let's have enough seed capital so that we can get this thing launched with great people and get the partnerships in place. Um, and, and go from there. And so that's, so that's what we did. And so it was 11 half million dollars. And then six months later, um, a couple of the existing investors, um, I think, you know, we're very excited about the progress that we'd made, um, and becoming more and more convinced that, um, you know, given the landscape, given the competitors, given the addressable market, given the size and give, given, you know, the team's experience in, in delivery, that this was going to be a, a big, a, you know, a big opportunity, and so we had a preemptive Series A round, and we raised an additional 40, 40 some odd million dollars, um, which um, you know allowed us to um, continue to grow and and um, and and then emerge from stealth, and, and kind of that's where we are now. And what does it mean, preemptive? I mean, what, what does that look like? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't sort of, we weren't in fundraising mode, so I wasn't going into the market. I wasn't um, approaching venture firms looking to raise capital. Um, and so it was more of a sort of an inbound, um, let's get ahead of, you know, the series A and we'll just we'll just fund your series A earlier than you may than you may have been um may have been looking for. And so that's what preemptive means. Now in this case, I mean, for you guys, you know, what a what a wild ride. You know, I guess the 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 question that comes to mind is you know, if you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the 
vision of high note is fully realized, what does that world look like? We have pretty audacious and ambitious goals. And I, I think that the, 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 the company is starting off in the issuance space, but I really believe there's an opportunity for us to deliver a sort of the de facto platform for businesses that want to work with the most modern technology platform product uh, out there that will allow them to launch a card product, acquire transactions um, across the whole spectrum, uh, extend globally, um, participate in, in a lot of the global payments markets, but, but really a platform that is about customers, not, not about high note. It's, it's really about providing capabilities that you know, many businesses can't even envision right now because they're not fintechs or they never thought they would need a card product or they're happy with their existing legacy provider. But when you start looking at how innovative uh, these types of products can be and, and how necessary they are to offer an integrated financial experience to your customer because the demands of, you know, the next generation on, on customer experience and digital wallet and cross-border payments is continually uh, rising. And so I, I think, you know, being able to step in and, and offer that capability and those capabilities now and in the future uh, is really what, you know, I would love for, for High Note to um, be known as, you know, over time here. And that's what we're building towards. And I guess as, as you're looking back, what do you think took you so long to become an entrepreneur? You know, I've asked myself that question. Um, I, think, I think a lot of it is confidence. It's timing. It's, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing because I'm having so much fun here and, and building the team has been just great. I love the first experience with Lombard Brokerage. I think it's to some degree, I, I think I needed to go through the journey. I, I really felt like the the experience that I gathered both in the the domain of, of financial services and payments, but also, you know, as a leader and as an entrepreneur and uh, as a business leader, sort of th there is a lot to be said about the experiences, both highs and lows that that you get along the way. And I think that that's sort of brought me to the point where, you know, the, there was no way I was going to go work for, for someone else. It was really about this is the right thing to do and this is the right time for me. And um, I'm not sure what it would have looked like if I, I tried to do it five or 10 years ago, but um, we can't go back in time. So here we are. So let's say you were able to go back in time, John, and uh, I put you to a time machine and you were able to ask that uh, or to share with that younger John, with your younger self, one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now? You know, I think, you know, some advice was given to me later in my career, I don't know, in my 30s maybe, that I wish I had had, you know, when I was 17 or 18 or 19. And I, I'll just, I, I think about that a lot because I think it kind of, um, it makes me think about um, about the journey. And so the, 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 the advice was around, you know, in an, in the early days when you're getting your career off the ground, a, a few things. One, you know, primarily, you know, be brave and and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take risks, and and certainly don't be afraid to make mistakes. And and then, in conjunction with that, stay sensitive to other people. And and I learned along the way that kind of you start off in your career, and it's it's about it's about me, and it's about how can I do things, and how can I contribute, and how can I be a better a better leader. But in reality, 
and you and some leaders learn this very very early on and some leaders learn it later on it's it's really about the people and the team and uh, the success of the experience around surrounding yourself with great leaders and great people and learning how to recognize great leaders and great talent and great people and and you know that's not always so straightforward so the the idea around stay sensitive to other people and and then from a confidence perspective you know if you can build that strength sort of if you can build that strength inside you then then the outside world is going is going to respond and and that's really been evidenced i think in my personal journey and i think i i i would have hoped that i intuitively thought that when i was younger but but really sort of if i went back in that time machine and and someone said no no this is you know this is really the way to to sort of think about things and and keep your eyes and ears open that's that's probably what i would say very nice now for the people that are listening john what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi yeah, I think LinkedIn is always a good way. It's 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 open, and I I'm on it every day, and and that's probably the 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 best way to to connect in. And would love to hear from people, and would love to share more about what we're doing here. We've got a great business, great great company, and we're obviously hiring uh, people across the board. So, you know, you're excited about you know joining a fast moving, innovative company where we're having a lot of fun and making a big difference. Then uh, please reach out. Amazing. Well, John, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you today with us. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it, Hunter. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.